It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Here's a conversation not being held in enough context in the media, probably being held by some Americans on an individual level, but during COVID, and for a variety of reasons, but also mostly due to lockdowns, medical care was put on hold for many Americans. Early detection, for example, one of the most important things to your health in many ways, not just related to cancer. As a result, the healthcare industry was upended, and now how does it recover? How does it adapt? There have been changes. Telehealth has become a bigger part of the industry, and certainly new technologies will play into this, but the doctor-patient relationship and the patient access to the doctor added to the backups in the healthcare system. Over time, whether it's Dr. Maria Ryan, uh, my guest today, Dr. Mark Siegel, clinical professor of medicine and practicing internist at NYU Langone, as well as medical director of Dr. Radio. But over time, we'll explore this because we need to inform ourselves of changes and where there are issues. So, Mark, my friend, good morning. Uh, the medical field writ large, how do you see it now in the, some people have their versions of it. I call it the post COVID intensive phase. You know, David, a lot of what you just summarized is, is the best place to start. First of all, we've seen a move towards telemedicine during the pandemic. I liked it. I didn't like it at first. I've always had some anathema towards telemedicine, but I like how it worked during the pandemic. I got more used to it as an internist. It's got limitations. You know, I know a lot of psychiatrists that have turned to it, but of course, there are nuances of a, of a psychotherapy session that are lost. Even my sessions, medical sessions, there's nuances that are lost, but you're going to see a movement to overcome that gap in the years to come. What do I mean by that? People will have kits at home where they can take their blood pressure and beam it to me, you know, via an iPhone, blood sugars, blood tests, even EKGs. They'll have their own stethoscope they apply to their body. I'll get that missing data, some of it, as I'm doing a televisit. There's also the insurance problems with televisits, and believe it or not, there's only a few states that I can actually do televisits for right now. As we saw with, you know, the big, the big bloated uh, attempt to pay for everything by the Biden administration, a lot of that is in jeopardy now for COVID, but some of that extends to things, to inroads we made, like telemedicine. I mean, literally, I can do a telemedicine visit here in New York, in Connecticut, but I can't do it in Florida. I can't do it in some states where my patients are or go. <clears throat> That's a big, big issue. Um, that, that's telemedicine. Then there's the issue of who is your primary care doctor, because a lot of people are saying, I don't have a primary care doctor. That ended up being an enormous problem during the pandemic when it came to the vaccine. I mean, I think vaccine compliance in general is going to be in jeopardy now for a couple of reasons. One, the way it was handled during the pandemic, overpromised, and then, of course, there was a backlash against it. I happen to think it's a very good vaccine. It has limitations, but I think it's a valuable tool. People lost the idea of a vaccine as a tool, and they lost the person to explain it to them, which is their primary care doctor, who traditionally has given 50% of the vaccines in the country, either at a pediatric level or a my level internist. 
family practitioner or or general general uh, your primary care doc level. So we got a problem with vaccines, and then you also pointed about screening. Screenings have taken an enormous hit. We're seeing a lot of cancer that tragically has progressed because people <clears throat> were afraid to. At first, they were afraid to go to facilities because they thought they might catch COVID. Later, when they got an idea, maybe they wouldn't catch COVID by going to one of these places, to their doctor's office, or to even to the hospital, they started to inch forward there. But there was already a pattern of recalcitrance that had developed, and that persisted, and that's led to delayed diagnoses. One more point, there was an excellent uh, opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend by a former CDC director, Frieden, who pointed out that we've lost twice as many people from heart disease over the past year than we did from COVID, and that's not a comparison. We don't want to lose people to anything, but... Heart disease is almost entirely preventable, and we're not preventing it. And we're, we're going to be less likely to prevent it because of the pandemic, because people got into bad habits, became more sedentary, didn't exercise, more alcohol, more smoking, more illicit substances, you know, more depression. All of this due to the what I call collateral damage of the pandemic with an excess focus on the virus. Yeah, and speaking of alcohol-related deaths, uh, some of the numbers now coming out, uh, an increase in 2020, somewhere around 20 plus thousand alcohol related deaths, liver disease, accidents and more. So, you know, COVID had other effects. And I don't know if you want to call it unintended. It's more like what happened. So what's next? How does the the new version of medical care writ large or whatever we wherever we are now, how does it make up for lost time if possible. You can't always make up for lost time. If, you know, you would have been detected, for example, at say stage two, and now you're at stage three, that's a remarkable jump and often deadly for many. How, how does the industry catch up first? And then how does it move forward? Well, it can't catch up because it's going to have to use its advanced technology to treat cancers you gave an example at later stages we have immunotherapy but you know even immunotherapy was over promised it's developing as a field genetic treatments and targeted therapies are really excellent but early diagnosis is the way to go to for cancer especially because of the surgical advances like robotics so we can't r roll back the clock i think we can start to move forward presuming by the way that we don't fill our hospitals with another wave of COVID. And by the way, the big story there is non-political. It's that if you have an infectious disease in the hospital, the hospital has to pivot in order to cordon off that disease. And that led to not that hospitals were necessarily overwhelmed, because I think that was just that mainly at the beginning of the pandemic in certain areas. I think it's more that it interferes with regular hospital function because of the need to, to isolate. The real way we're going here that is positive, we can get something positive out of all of this, but so far we're not paying enough attention to it. It's the model of stay at home, get your test at home, get your information at home, beam it, Scotty, to somewhere else, and get your treatment online via a televisit. Because if you think about it, if you're sick, you don't want to go out. If, you're, if, you're, if you could stay at home, not just with an infectious disease, but with anything where you're not feeling well, if you can stay home and, and get your care online without even leaving the house, that's a huge advance, and we now have the technology for it. You know, we see something else 
uh, more stories developing, uh, D.C. firefighters uh, that could be fired for being unvaccinated. And I'm thinking of uh, the United Airlines employees. Some will be allowed to return. Uh, New York City, you know, 1,500 police officers and firefighters. I forget the final number off the streets. So decisions were made. And if you follow the science, a lot of these people are not being brought back to work. I mean, is there, you know, especially when you talk about first responders, Mark, nurses, doctors, you know, what's going to happen here, you think? It's a mess. By the way, you could go to a Met game now, but you may not have the police there to uh, allow to usher you in to preserve safety, right? Because of the contradiction from our mayor in New York City, where you know he got a lot of pressure to open up sports uh, events to players that weren't unvaccinated, and hooray for that. Let me be clear on what the science is. The science is that the vaccine, if you're recently boosted, will decrease severity pretty remarkably and keep you out of the hospital. But it's not going to prevent spread. And it's not going to prevent spread having had recent COVID either, by the way. You can get the BA2 even if you had the BA1. But the more immunity you have on board, the more protection you have. And that immunity can come from prior infection or vaccination. And a lot of the people who were rebelling said, look, we just had COVID. We're not getting a vaccine now. And that's actually legitimate. The rigidity of these mandates made no sense as the vaccine waned, especially. Maybe it made some sense, although I'm not a mandate person, nor are you. I think we're more libertarians, but maybe it made more sense in the 95% category. But when you had to, you know, put one foot here like the old twister game in order to get immunity, I don't think the va- it just seemed like superimposed government meanness. And I think it is time to roll it back. And I, it's well past time to roll it back. And I do think that people should be rehired who were let go for that reason. And they always should have allowed to be showing evidence of natural immunity you know cost factors wasn't on my mind for today but as i'm listening to you not just cost the society cost the hospital systems uh doctors individual practitioners you know whatever the medical practices uh business makeup is but also costs associated with covid the cost for tests the cost for all of this i mean it, any idea on how to assess this properly or at least in a better way nothing's free there's no free lunch or free vaccine or pcr test i guarantee you now that rapid tests are finally where they belong that that's going to save money if you wake up in the morning and you take a rapid test and it tells you have covid and you stay at home look what you did you prevented uh, a trip to the hospital where you could have spread it there or the or the rapid or, or to the PCR unit. You prevented uh, exposing other people at the at the test center. You pre- prevented pre- exposing people at the workplace. So the idea of infectious diseases being tested at home is absolutely the way to go. And that's cost saving in addition to to making public health sense. The fact that we've taken so long to understand that even President Biden's recent statement that he's going to convert pharmacies into places where you can get tested and then get Paxlovid, I thought to myself, who's advising him? Because I don't want people at pharmacies. And by the way, I don't want people prescribing Paxlovid at pharmacies either because it has interactions. You've got to think through these things in really careful ways. You need proper people to prescribe things and you need to test patients out of the way of exposure to other people 
Well, here's another issue that comes up, however, with the rapid tests. And we've seen, you know, not a, not the thousands of stories, but I've seen numerous stories of taking a rapid test, then being given a test uh, at a facility or at work where they have a PCR. Your test negative in the morning, positive in the afternoon, or vice versa. Uh, well, you know, efficacy and accuracy. Well, so here's the answer to that. Again, it's science. The answer is that with Omicron, you may have to test two or three times on a rapid to get a positive because Omicron is so contagious that it's spreading and you have symptoms before you even turn the test positive. So for Omicron, I do repeat tests. But if I really think the patient has Omicron, I get them a PCR, like you just said, Dave. I don't take no for an answer. And I've had patients that have negative rapids and negative PCRs, and I'm still sure they have COVID. So, you know, that's a doctor being involved in making a clinical decision, and we're lacking that. We have too many politicians and public health officials stepping in and acting like physicians, but it's actually the art of medicine that we're missing in all of this. And that's why all of the information gets distorted all the time. It's, a, it's always politics. It's somebody that trained as a vaccinologist, you know, that's now talking about public health. There, there's definite distinctions. And social media makes, makes that a lot worse. But in the actual issue you're talking about, for Omicron, you've got to repeat a rapid test and or talk to your doctor about getting a PCR, like you said. Speaking of vaccinologists, I'm thinking in terms of virologists. Uh, where's Dr. Fauci? Well, he's still there. I mean, I think one of the problems with Dr. Fauci throughout all of this was that what's not that. Well, first of all, we could go all through that. I think that 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 the evidence for a lab leak should have been on the table from the beginning. It was mocked as a conspiracy theory. The whole idea of mocking things and marginalizing things, that's a dangerous idea. I don't happen to think that Dr. Fauci is engaged in a cover-up or ever was. That's my sense of him. I know, Dr. I know Dr. Paul. I call him Dr. Paul. I'm friends with Senator Paul. I know he thinks differently about that. I don't think so. I know Dr. Fauci. I've interviewed him multiple times. He's a political guy. Uh, but I don't think it was a cover-up so much as dogma. You know, it can't be. We, he felt after, David, he felt after SARS-1 that he had to be engaged in viral manipulations to make sure that things, the genie didn't get out of the bottle. I don't look at it that way. I think if you provoke a virus, it, it is the genie that gets out of the bottle. So I'm, I'm a little uh, nervous, not a little, a lot nervous about all that ge- manipulation of viruses that goes on, not just here, but in China, you know, in North Carolina with, with Ralph Barrick. I, I, you know, I've talked to Robert Redfield about this and others and written articles about it. I don't think I don't like the way they handled that. I mean, that's number one. Number two, public health advice shouldn't be coming from vaccinologists ordinarily. And he was the main spokesperson throughout the pandemic. And he definitely contributed to the lockdowns. And I was up there screaming collateral damage, collateral damage, close the schools. Why are you closing the schools in Europe? They're open. You know, close the schools. You're going to damage kids ability to learn socialization, mental health, economic disaster, you know, closing businesses, using a model from the 1918 flu, which was a much less contagious virus. It's going to get around anyway. And guess where it gets around, Dave? In poor neighborhoods where people are locked down together, spreading virus. So I think the whole thing with with uh, with lockdowns was very problematic. You know, there was also the, the point that Dr. Fauci made about using double-blinded randomized trials. I agree with that if you can get them, but we never had them for masks. So 
How can we state with certainty that masks work in the same way that vaccines work when we didn't have the double-blinded prospective randomized trials? You've got to be consistent about stuff like that or people won't believe you. Well, baseball players won't be taken to the streets anytime to act as police officers in New York City. But to your point on masks, the administration's extended. I just flew yesterday. They've extended it uh, in airline travel and more. But yet companies or cities or states dependent, you know, they've gotten rid of them. I mean, you're, you're right. There was no double blind study. But they finally came out and said, you know, a cloth mask, basically your T-shirt is not effective. I mean, the <laughs> contradictions, the, the contradictions are, are they're, frankly, they're flat out stupid, Mark. I'm on an airplane yesterday. I got one guy with a mask with the vent in it, which they announced you shouldn't have. I think after a while, the flight attendants and the pilots are like, oh, God, they, they're, they're almost apologizing for telling you that it's the policy and it's just what we have to do. Well, what about eating without, I mean, what about eating? The whole thing about eating it, it completely devo- voids the, the thing. The guy next to you was wearing a mask, maybe even an N95, but then his lunch is served. Come on. You're saying that, you know, I feel like, look, Dave, I'll tell you a funny story that you'll like for the radio. I had a friend, a dear friend that was a great writer, and he was a patient of mine for many years before he passed away. God love him. I won't mention his name. I used to bring him to the Nick games, and we, when we were there, he'd have a hot dog and french fries and, he'd say, and a beer. He'd say, Mark, you told me I can't eat any of that stuff. So I would wave my hands over him and say, okay, I'm giving you my medical uh, you know, pass here. For the game, you can eat that stuff. It's not going to hurt you. I'm, I'm giving you my benediction. That's how I feel about masks on planes. I mean, if they have any value at all, how come the guy next to you could take it off for two hours? I keep an almond in my hand. No, just, <laughs> I, I, I sat there and ate my meal. I think the cure is a scotch. I had one of those, and who knows? And the guy next to me, occasionally I get the person who looks over, like, you're not wearing your mask. What's wrong with you? Uh, don't worry, well, I'm eating. The virus scotch, knows not to come. You have a glass of water because you'll get dehydrated. Oh, no, I always have the water on the side. You know me by now. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. <laughs> Great pleasure to be with you, David. Thank you. Thanks for having Dr. me. Dr. Mark Siegel, uh, medical director of Dr. Radio, clinical professor of medicine at NYU. You can join me live on the David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.